Maybe not these lights, maybe the <laughs> these people are ready. <laughs> All right, well, uh, welcome back into the room. We're going to start our sermon, and so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14 today. When I was six years old, I got 50 cents from my dad's dresser. And I walked across the street to the neighbor's garage sale and I bought a busted up old radio and I went straight home and I dismantled it. I took every piece apart uh, and then I tried to put it back together and it never ever worked ever again. But it was the best 50 cents I'd spent because I got to see the inside and I got to see the outside and I got to take it apart and it was just a learning experience for me. And a random way to start a sermon, but uh, this morning we're going to take apart Hebrews 4, chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And so uh, here in about two hours, you're going to have a great understanding. All the heads go up. Every time I say it, heads go up and people, there's a look of shock on their faces. This won't be a two hour sermon, but here in the next 20 minutes or so, you're going to have a much better understanding of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. Let's pray and then we'll read this passage together. Father, we thank you that in these last days you have spoken to us by your son, Jesus Christ, the one whom you have appointed as the heir of all things, the one through whom all things were created and the one in whom all things hold together. We thank you for the magnificent, exalted view of Jesus Christ in this passage, in this book. We pray that you would give us the grace and strength to know Him and to seek Him with all of our heart and to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray that You would do a work in this time. Use Your Word to challenge us and change us and to make us more like You. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start reading in verse 4 of chapter 1. The Bible says that Jesus having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes angels his winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. 
reading the passage, it can be easy to get confused. Hebrews is a very difficult book. It's hard to understand. It's hard to make sense of all the Hebrew and Old Testament quotations. It's hard to see how it all fits together. But if you can follow the argument, if you can follow the argument, it goes like this. Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to anything that you can give your life to. Yeah, there are a lot of things that you can give your life to. You can give your life to your career. You could spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week thinking about and working toward and making yourself a better employer or employee. You can spend all that time focusing and giving your life to your career. And at the end of 40 or 50 years of work, you will have something to show for all the effort that you gave. You can give your whole life to your career. You can give your whole life to parenting. You can give your whole life to a spouse or to a charity or to a work. There are a lot of things you can give your life to. You can give your life to comfort and to rest and to ease. You can give your life to wealth or to hobbies. There are so many things that vie for your attention and your affection. And we can give our life to any of those things. But the point of Hebrews is nothing is going to satisfy you. There's nothing more superior than Jesus Christ. There's nothing more superior. There's nothing better that you can give your life to. And that's the simple summary of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. You have on a sheet somewhere, maybe a sermon note, a picture of Mount Everest. Uh, And that was just the idea that there's no greater mountain on earth than Everest. Uh, Jesus is superior in all ways to all other things that you can give your life to. Now, the argument that the author of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, but the argument that he is making, he's making to a group of Hebrew Jewish people, a community. It doesn't say that it's a church. It's just a community of ethnic Jews. And so in order for them to understand, he's speaking to them as a Jewish person to Jewish people. And so his whole argument that Jesus is more superior is going to be spoken in their cultural language. That's why there's so many Old Testament quotes. That's why there's so many things going on here. Just to break the passage down a little bit, it outlines really easily. Jesus is, has a superior name in verse 4. He was given a name that is more superior than angels. Jesus, uh, His worship, the worship of Jesus is superior to any affection or attention that angels could receive. Verses 5 through 6. Which of the angels did God ever say, you're my son? None of them is the answer. I will be a father to him and he shall be to me a son. That was never said to an angel. Some religions believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. Satan being a fallen angel. Uh, Jesus is not an angel. He is not created. Jesus is the eternal God. Uh, Jesus is superior. He has a superior throne. The throne depicts eternity. It's everlasting. Verses 7-12, through 12, of which of the angels did He... He said He makes them winds and His ministers a flame of fire. But the Son, He says, Your throne is forever and ever. He has an eternal throne and eternal righteousness. Um, in the beginning, He laid the foundations of the earth. Verse 10 says, They will perish, they will all wear out, but He remains the same. Jesus is superior. The worship of Jesus is superior. And the final point in this outline is that Jesus' reign is superior. Verses 13 through 14. To which of the angels has God ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? 
The answer is none of them. They are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Angels are just ministering spirits. Why all the focus on angels? What's the big deal here with angels? Why were the Hebrews so caught up about angels? Let me kind of help us understand and unpack that just a little bit. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it describes that the Old Testament was mediated by angels. Right? Angels were the ones who delivered the words of the Old Covenant. And so the author of Hebrews is going to make this point that, uh, that the New Covenant in Jesus' name is way more superior than the Old Covenant delivered by angels. They were just the means by which God's purpose was delivered. They were just the means by which the law was delivered. Jesus is superior to angels, and the message of the Gospel, the New Covenant, is superior than that which was delivered by angels. Alright, everybody with me so far? So what's the fascination with angels? The fascination was um, God delivered this incredible message of salvation and grace and chosenness and mercy and redemption that started way back with the choosing of Abraham and, and, and through the Mosaic Covenant, through Moses and through all the ways in which the angels spoke, it was good news that they spoke. And so... They brought a message that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But there arose an unhealthy fascination, not with the message, but with the messenger. You understand? There arose a sense in which the mystery surrounding angels, there arose this mysterious worship and unhealthy balance and attention given to angels. I think we can kind of get that today. I think our culture can kind of understand that. People like to talk about angels. People uh, like to refer to their loved ones who have passed in angelic ways. People, people talk about angels and they talk about demons. And if, if you're not familiar with the biblical presentation of angels, uh, the whole idea is that there are, you know, there are angels. These are, there are these spirit beings that we can't see. Uh, and that there are good angels and there are fallen angels. Uh, among the category of fallen angels, there are those who are bound and those who are loose. Uh, among those categories, some are bound for eternity. Some were being imprisoned in the depths of the earth, uh, is what Peter describes. There's a lot to angels, but the point is that we don't see them and we barely see a lot of their activity. We're going to find in Hebrews 13:2, he says, Don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have entertained angels without being aware of it. There is a sense of mystery around angels, and we want to know more about them. But to shift our eyes from Jesus Christ and from the message of the gospel onto these lesser servant beings uh, is detrimental to our salvation and to our faith. To amplify something that God has minimized. To give undue attention and undue focus to something that is not meant to receive that. It, 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 the angels are not worthy to be worshipped. Anytime in Scripture when someone saw an angel and they flipped a gasket, their mind was blown, they saw an angel, they got on their knees and they worshipped, what does the angel say? Get up, man. I'm just, a, I'm just an angel. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be worshipped. The only one who claims to be worthy to be worshipped is Satan himself. He desires the love and affection and attention. But for the Hebrew community, there was an unhealthy fascination with all things angel. 
Do you remember in the book of Acts when Paul has gone before the Sanhedrin? Uh, I think it's chapter 23, verses um, 8 and 9. Uh, Paul has gone before the Sanhedrin and he's under arrest and he's being tried. And he says out loud, it's for the hope of the resurrection that uh, I stand on trial today. And all of a sudden, the whole council was divided. They all kind of, there was a division that arose. And some people said, wait, maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. Maybe an angel has spoken to him. In Galatians, later, Paul is furious and, and he's telling them, why have you been bewitched? If a word spoken to you by uh, an angel um, is proven to conflict with the gospel, let him be damned or accursed, the one who believes in the message of the angel. There was an unhealthy fascination with the messenger rather than the person behind the message. And the author of Hebrews is helping them to understand that, you're, that Jesus is superior. He's more superior than angels. He's more the message of Christ. The gospel is more worth giving your life to. Jesus is worth giving your life to more than this fascination with angels. It's easy to get distracted, isn't it? I have a store uh, called the Distraction Store. Uh, it's like a Costco or Sam's or... Um, What's that other place? BJ's. Yes, the distraction store. Right? Send me in for one thing, right? Send me into a grocery store for one thing. An hour later, I'll have like nine different things in my basket. And I'll come out and I won't have gotten the one thing. Is there anybody else like that? That just can't... You get into a store and you lose all focus. All distractions come up and you walk out with things you have no need for. Uh, and, and, and so it's similar in our spiritual life. There are so many things that can distract us. So many things that can distract us from the main purpose. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the point of our salvation is that we're supposed to be in this relationship with God whereby He speaks to us and we worship Him and we're in relationship with Him, we're intimate with Him, we have close fellowship with Him where we're experiencing oneness with God the Father Himself. That's the purpose of our salvation, to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And His purpose, one of His purposes for you, is that you would be made in His image, that you would reflect His image, that when people see you, they would get confused and say there's something like Jesus in you. There's something about the way you love your enemies that is so Christ-like. There's something about the way you wave to the person who just cut you off in traffic uh, is so Christ-like. There's something about the way that you treat your children that reminds me of Jesus. There's something about the way you treat your employers. There's something about you that reminds me of Jesus. People should say that about us. And unfortunately, they, they don't, do they? Because we get distracted. We lose the ability to reflect Jesus when we take our eyes off Christ. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Him. Make Him the focus, the primary focus of our attention. One of the goals of our redemption is that we would become more like Jesus. In theology terms, it's called progressive sanctification. That is, there are three basic parts to salvation. There's the day that you get saved, and there's the day that you go to heaven. That's called glorification. Uh, and this first part is when we give our life to Christ. But that middle ground is called sanctification. 
Jesus could snap his fingers and you could become like Jesus immediately. Wouldn't that be great? But he doesn't do that. (laughs) He has chosen to participate and cooperate with you and I in this process of sanctification. We have to get up and show up. We have to get up and get on our knees and get in the word and get in prayer. And we have to be there participating with him, yielding our life, confessing our sin, walking with him in those ways, abiding in him. And as we cooperate in this process of sanctification, he changes us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians from one degree of glory to the next so that we become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? We get distracted, don't we? We lose focus. So the author of Hebrews is warning them not to fall back and not to lose focus. Not to focus on these mysterious angels or not to focus on the the message that they delivered as just a mediator, but to focus on Christ. We are to avoid an unhealthy emphasis on the means. You know, that makes sense. There's an end and there's the means to that end. The end is that we'll be like Christ, that we'll love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we will have a greater and increasing affection and love for Jesus. That's the goal, that we would be like Him. But we can focus on the means by which He wants you to love Him. You can focus on the means by which He wants you to love Him. Let me just make an example here. You can put an unhealthy emphasis on finances. And you can give your life to finances and to money and something like that. And God might want to use finances to make you more like Christ. Whether uh, it's through discipline of having it and being a good steward. Or whether it's through the lack of and the ability to be content. Godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. There's great gain if you can just say enough is enough. I don't need more. There are people who are working toward the reverse tithe. That have learned what contentment is. That they uh, don't tithe 10%. They tithe 90% and live off 10 You say, well, that's amazing. They must have a ton of money. No, it's just people who have incrementally learned to be content. Paul said the secret is contentment. The secret of, uh, of, of I can do all things through Christ. And this is the secret is just being content. Content in Christ. You can put an unhealthy emphasis on finances. Where God is using finances to make you more like Christ. You can put an unhealthy emphasis on parenting. And parenting is one of those grinds that makes you more like Christ, right? How, how, many, how quickly do you have to learn patience when you've got a kid banging on the bathroom door, right? And you, you're just, you just need a moment. Or, or there's always something to do. And Kids and, are wonderful, but there's an amazing way that God uses parenting uh, to shape us and to mold us. You know who the most prideful people are? often are people that um, want to give you parenting advice, but they don't have kids. Have you ever met people like that? You're walking through the grocery store and they, they can tell you how to, how to take care of a screaming baby. Oftentimes, God will use um, children to shatter our pride and bring humility to us. Isn't that right? Or to teach us that He's sovereign and in control. I know that none of you know what I'm talking about. I know it's, it's probably just me, but, but you can put this unhealthy emphasis on the means by which God is accomplishing a purpose on you. I'm not saying you should neglect your responsibilities as a parent or as a steward or as a husband or as a wife or as anything. I'm just saying that oftentimes we place an unhealthy emphasis on the means by which God would make you godly and remove our focus off of Jesus. Have you ever had one of those weeks 
One of those weeks where you realize, I haven't read my Bible, really engaged with the Lord in four days or five days. It's just been a while since I've prayed. I've had weeks like that. And, and when I go through periods like that, I realize I've shifted my focus off the main thing and onto these other things. And it's just so easy to get distracted. We can feel like Peter in Matthew 14. Maybe not like Peter in Matthew 14 because he walks on water. But, <laughs> but when Peter walks on water, and uh, you remember the weird phrase that says, when he saw the wind. How do you see the wind? He saw the effects of the winds on the water and the waves, and he began to sink. And Jesus has to walk over and reach in and pull him up. Peter just loses focus. He was walking toward Jesus. He had his eyes on Christ. He was going toward Him, and he lost his focus. Towards the end of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1-2, through 2, it says, Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. To the Hebrew community that the author is writing to, they were tempted to remove their focus on Jesus, to walk back into the old covenant, to walk back into Judaism. And he's warning them and teaching them and encouraging them. There's nothing better that you can give your life to than Jesus. Nothing will satisfy you. No drug, no experience, no relationship, nothing. Nothing will satisfy you like Christ. And you must keep your focus on Him. How do we do this? It's so easy to get tripped up. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches a parable about a sower who sows seed. And as He sows the seed, some of it falls among thorns. And these are believers. In the parable, there are four recipients of the seed. Four types of soil. And only one that we're going to talk about right now is the seed that fell among thorns. It says that that seed, the plant grew up and it was choked out. It never bore fruit. It never made a difference in the kingdom. It never had any impact. And Mark, verse 18 of chapter 4, pulls this out as the reason. Mark 4, 18-19 says that others are the ones that are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfaithful and unfruitful. Three things that Jesus identifies that will strangle your focus. The cares of the world. What does that include? Just think about anything you care about, right? Anxieties, worries, fears, all of these things that would take your focus off Jesus and place them on fear. The deceitfulness of riches, whether you have it or whether you don't have it, this idea that something will make you happy. If you just had a little more, if you just could do a little more, if you could just go on more vacations and have more experiences and pay off all these things, the idea that your life would be better with wealth will rob you of your focus on the main thing which is abiding in Christ, and the desire for other things. All these things rob us from what is superior, and that is abiding in Christ. In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. What does this mean? 
It means that on a regular basis, on a daily basis, we're coming and we're yielding to Jesus. Giving more of ourselves to Him. Relinquishing control of our life. And acknowledging that He's superior, that He's able to lead us and direct us and guide us and provide for us and to satisfy us more and more. We've been spotlighting a ministry resource called Look and Live. It's a book about how small things are when we put our focus on them, how unsatisfying they are. But when we place our affection and our attention on Christ, how He's able to satisfy us, to be the living well that gives us hope and joy and strength and life and grace and forgiveness and all those things that we desire. Hebrews warns us not to shift our focus, not on angels, not on an old covenant, not on an old way of life, to keep our eyes fixed on Christ and let God make it happen in our lives this week. Father, we thank You for our time today. We thank You for the Word in which You spoke that Jesus, You are exalted as high and lifted up, that You are more superior than angels and than all other beings, that You're worthy of our worship and our affection and our attention. I pray today in Jesus' name that You would give us the grace and strength to keep our eyes on You Not to shift our attention to things that aren't worthy and aren't capable of holding our affection. Would you go before us and use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.